Welcome, everyone, to Long Ball Legacies, a show on the Pitcherless Podcast Network where we dive into the stories, myths, legends, and players who helped shape the game of baseball throughout its history across the world, and the players who helped make it the game we love and help make us love the game itself. I'm your host, Daniel Port. Thanks, everyone, for being here. I'm really excited about this week's episode. I'm going to try something a little different than our usual episode. With the season ending and the playoffs being over, congratulations to the Rangers on winning the World Series. I thought, we've got a lot of current players on the list, whether it's Ronald Cunha Jr. or Kyle Hendricks or Bryce Harper or Shohei Otani. Like, we've had players put up really incredible seasons. And while, yes, I projected a lot of those out, to try and account for great seasons and whatnot, I felt it was time to come back and look at those players again and see if anything has changed since we ranked them last time. And so what we're going to do here, maybe over two episodes, we'll see how we do on time here. We're going to go and start on the list, and we're going to look at each player and say, has, after this season, their place on the list or in their legacy, has anything changed? And either move them up or move them down based on what happened this season and update the list here because I don't want to shortchange the current players who have played fewer seasons, who have done less in the league be just by because of time than some of the older, his more historic players on the list. That's what we're going to do today. I'm excited to do it. We've never done this before, and I think it's a good way to kick off season three of Long Ball Legacies. If you, let me know how you think about it. I love feedback, so you can either uh, reach the podcast at LB Legacies over on X. Reach me at port. Sorry, I'm at Daniel J. Port over on X. And then you can always email the podcast at longballlegacies at gmail.com. Just let me know how you feel about this kind of podcast because if you like it, we may do things like this more often or stuff like that. But anyway, let's get into it. So I think where we want to start. I tried a couple different formats here of what order to talk about players in. Do I start with all those stars and then get to the the less important players or not less important they're all important but the the, uh, the players with the less star power and build up to those players or do i start with those players and and kind of finish off with it with, with some of the other players do i do it a mix what i ended up deciding to do was to start at the end of the list and just move forward it made ranking and and keeping everything straight a little easier it also made a, a little more sense in terms of the players i was moving around that way you didn't really have to sit with the list in front of you as you were listening to understand what i was doing that's what we're going to do before we do that though let's actually do a quick refresher on the list here just so we get a sense of where we are and what we're looking at here yes we're going to revisit the entire list here for just a second. That's 77 players we've ranked so far, so hang in there real quick. Our top 10. Sadaharu O is number one. Satchel Page at number two. Ted Williams at number three. Josh Gibson, number four. Barry Bonds, number five. Mickey Mantle, number six. Greg Maddox is there at number seven. Mike Trout at number eight. Ricky Henderson at number nine. And Ken Griffey Jr. at number 10. The 10 through 20... Uh, players, as, as we mentioned, Griffey at number 10, Ichiro at number 11, George Brett at number 12, Adrian Beltre at number 13, Shohei Otani number 14, Clayton Kershaw at number 15, Eddie Murray's number 16, Edgar Martinez is number 17, Sandy Koufax number 18, Tony Gwynn is number 19, and Hank Greenberg is number 20. 
then going 20 through 30 is Nolan Arenado, then Joey Votto, Scott Rowland, Ron Santo, Kenny Lofton, Manny Machado, Addy Josh, Johan Santana, Willie Stargell, and David Ortiz. Moving into the 30s, we got Steve Carlton, Robin Yount, Bryce Harper, Mariano Rivera, Ryan Sandberg, Jose Ramirez, Fred McGriff, Paul Molitor, and Jose Altuve. From uh, Then going to the 40s, we got Home Run Baker, Freddie Freeman, Mo Vaughn, Roberto Alomar, Oral Hershiser, Vita Blue, Corey Kluber, Kenley, Kenley Jansen, Dizzy Dean, Jim Cat, and Jamie Moyer at number 50. Going in the 50s, we've got Jamie Moyer, Kyle Hendricks, Evan Longoria, Sean Green, Jorge Posada, Ryan Braun, Whitey Ford, Moises Alou, Albert Bell, Prince Fielder, and Matt Williams. Now, from 60 to 70, we have Matt Williams, Jose Bautista, Tony Stone, Jason Veritek, Dottie Schrader, Doc Gooden, Brian Hayes, Kenny Rogers, Jason Bay, Brad Ratke, and Robin Ventura. And the round out the list, the last seven here from Robin Ventura, we move on to Ronald Acuna Jr. We know he's going to be moving for sure. Aramis Ramirez, Jim Abbott, Mike Sweeney, Herb Score, Mark Pryor, and finally James Paxton. So that's the list, and gives you an idea of all the players we have covered. You probably heard a bunch of names of current players that we've covered in the past here. We're going to talk about all of them today and see if they've moved up in the list. Have they moved down? Has nothing changed? And some of these players we'll get to because if you go back and listen to the episodes, say Jose Ramirez or Shohei Otani and stuff like that, I, I tend to project out what I think they're going to do for the rest of their career and try to rank them appropriately based on that. Put them on uh, oftentimes even footing with some of the historical players that we've covered. And that's why sometimes we might come across a player and I'll be like, no, you know what? They did exactly what I thought they were going to do. They are still in the spot they are. is isn't because they didn't do anything good or anything like that. It's because they they did exactly what I thought they were going to do. So they stayed on their, project, their trajectory, which I've already ranked them for, if that makes sense. Now that we've laid out the rules and how we're going to progress here, let's actually take our first break real quick and get that out of the way so we can just kind of jump straight into it and hit the ground running. And then when we come back, we're going to jump into our first player, James Paxton. Welcome back. Like I said, I think we're going to start in the back of the list and move our way up, which brings us to our first player, which is the last player on our list, James Paxton. Now, Paxton had an interesting season here. He keeps trying to make comeback after comeback, and it's genuinely admirable. And I think we have these images of James Paxton of old, when he was the big maple, dominant, threw no-hitter, all that good stuff. But his body just can't do it, and he's had so many injuries and so much injury struggles over the years. It really is admirable that he's still pitching, and and at times pitching really well. Now, he finished the season overall throwing 96 innings pitched with 101 strikeouts and a 450 ERA and a 4.11 Sierra. It was worth 1.1 more. Considering he only threw about 100 innings, 1.1 more is good. And most of it came from one really good month. Every other month except for June, he had an ERA above four. June was the only month that he had an ERA below four. And it was way below four. It was a doozy of a month. He, he threw 31 innings pitched, 
with a 1.16 ERA with 34 strikeouts in the month of June. He looked like the James Paxton of old. It was really fun. It was really exciting. It, it, it was nice to see him turn back the clock and pull that out. And what's interesting in that way that, like, how do I put this? There's a spot for James Paxton still in the league. And it'll be interesting to see if someone picks him up or if he, he continues to pitch in Boston. Or because that month is good enough that when James Paxton is healthy and good, he can be a booster team. The problem is how often is he going to be healthy and for how long? And there's an interesting question of whether or not you're willing to take that excellent month to to try and, if you're a team picking up, to either try and move him at the deadline or to try and just get that good month and get a good push at some point in the season. So there, there's still a place for James Paxton in the league, which I'm glad to see because it's fun rooting for the Big Maple. So now the question is, does he move up in the rankings based off of this at all? And I, I don't think so. One, again, while it was a really cool month, it was really fun to watch, it wasn't a good overall season. I mean, he didn't really pitch enough to make like, a significant impact, if that makes sense. His new war total with that 1.1 war brings up the 13.3, which is behind Mark Pryor, who is at their number uh, 76, who has 16.6 war. And Pryor hasn't beaten. In career ERA, he hasn't beaten a war per year, almost by nearly a war, like a full war. So Pryor's another player who injuries derailed his career, and instead of pushing through them like Paxton did, Pryor just retired and is now, I believe, the pitching coach for the Dodgers still. And yes, like Paxton's thrown a no-hitter, but I think overall, looking at this, Pryor was the better pitcher. Like I, I think in terms of skill set, I think in terms of talent, I think Pryor was better. He's got him beaten on most statistical categories that don't that aren't about longevity, so to say. And so looking at this, I think Paxson stays where he is. He gets another season or two in uh, of this, and maybe. But I, I think right for right now, Mark Pryor stays ahead of James Paxson. I think culturally, too, Mark Pryor being a part of that crazy 2003 Cubs season has a larger impact on the overall uh, culture of baseball. I, I think it's all uh, and maybe. Canadians, let me know if I'm wrong about that and the way we feel about, about Paxton. But for right now, I think Pryor will stay ahead of him in, in that sense. Paxton won't be at the end of the list for long. I'm sure we'll cover more players and whatnot to fall behind that, but but we'll get there. So then if we keep moving up the list, and we'll get to our first big exciting player of the episode, and let's talk about Ronald Acuna Jr. Man, what a... What a season. Right now, Cunha is ranked at number uh, 71 on our list. And I talked about how it was too early to project out what he was going to do with his uh, with his career. It's not quite like doing like Jose Ramirez where we had like eight or nine years to work off of. So I didn't want to rank Acuna quite that high yet. But I said I was going to do it with the caveat that he was going to probably explode up the rankings starting this year. And... Man, did he make a good case for doing that. Uh, he had an eight-war season, uh, which brings his career total up to 25 war. He is just, just... Let me read this absolutely insane stat line to you. Across an NL leading 735 plane appearances, he hit 337 with a 416 OBP, which led all of baseball, and a 1.012 OPS which was good for a 168 OPS plus. Both of those led the NL. 
he hit 41 home runs to go along with a league-leading 73 stolen bases. That's right. He hit 40 home runs and stole 70-plus bases in one season. In fact, actually, that's the first time it's ever been done in the history of baseball. That's how impressive that is. No one's ever done it before. Just an incredible season. It felt like one of those things to talk about back when we talked about Bonds or Griffey or any of those. That it felt like you were turning on SportsCenter every day and they were doing something incredible. And that's how this season felt for Ronald Acuna Jr. It was outrageous. It was so good. And I don't think we've ever seen quite this combo of speed and power in baseball history. It's He's just... His ceiling is to the moon right now. Because, by the way, he's only 25 at this point. He's still going to get better than this as he goes along. And maybe, obviously, 40 home runs and 70 stolen bases might be peak year, that kind of thing for him, just because it's hard to imagine doing better than that in a season. But he's 25. He could get better than this. He will get better than this as he gains more experience and, and plays in the league more. So it's only up from here, and that's just crazy to me. It's it's so good. He He's so good. He, he probably should, in my opinion, he should win his first MVP award this year. I don't really feel like anyone came even close to him in terms of both his impact on his team and in terms of setting records and whatnot. He won Player of the Year, I'm sorry, Player of the Month three times this year three times this season's only five months long six months long and half of it he won player of the month he had 106 rbis and 149 runs scored this is his second time getting to the 30 30 mark of 30 home runs and 30 stolen bases he broke otis nixon's record in atlanta for stolen bases you can just go on and on but i think you're talking about the most dynamic hitter in the game right now and I don't even know if it's close. I genuinely don't. Uh, and this would be them to mention he also was an all-star. All of these things. I could go on and on about his season, but looking at historically where this puts him. So like I said, this gets up to about 25 war and starts to ask, well, what does that place him in then on the, on the list? That alone, when he starts surpassing, say, as I mentioned, he's at 71. It definitely like surpasses Jason Bay, at, who is sitting at, number 68 so he's definitely going to move up I'm way more than that but you know think of a similar outfielder at this point in their careers way past that he's already over halfway to matt williams in war and should win in the mvp here and had a truly historic season obviously i'm gonna jump him way keep jumping him up so it goes above matt williams at number 60 then we get to where i start to project out for him because we've got a couple years for him now he's 25 I'd like to say, barring injury, because, of course, you, you can't predict injury, and I don't want to. That's not what we're going to do here on this podcast. But uh, let's say he's got about seven more prime years of, like, six war, right? That's him playing at a star level for about eh, seven more years. That they put him at 32. That's 42 more war. Would you give him to 67 total? That would put him right around the Movon roberto Alomar range on our list, which is up in the 40s. That's right around, let's see, we're talking, yeah, 42. And I think having this historic of a season and looking at what they've been able to accomplish so far, I, th- I think, honestly, I put Acuna 
based on this projection out ahead of Vaughn and Roberto Alma. That's tough. Vaughn's an interesting one because, you know, I mean, he certainly racked up the home runs and, and put up the numbers. And, and Alomar was considered one of the greatest fielders of all time, although we've talked about how, to a certain degree, that was a little overrated, at least statistically speaking, from an advanced metric standpoint. But I, th- I think Acuna goes above them because if you think about it, he's making history at 25. And again, barring injury, this is just the beginning, right? So at some point, he's you got to imagine he is going to keep compiling both these numbers until he starts to age. And that's something neither of these players did. Alomar had some of the stolen bases and the, the batting average, but never the home runs. And Vaughn had the home runs, but never the, never the speed aspect of it. I think at this point, Acuna, especially if he wins MVP, which again, I think he should, there would uh, certainly be an argument of projecting him out past these two players, but, and I think I'm not necessarily ready to do that per se, because there's obviously Roberto Elmar, who's a Hall of Famer, and Mo Vaughn, who probably should have been Hall of Famer. They've done it at least already. That's how I was factoring that injury. Instead of me having to say every 10 seconds, oh, barring injury, or oh, this, or oh, that. That's baked into what I'm projecting out here. So I think given if he were to end up just right around where Movon and Robert Elmar in war, I think he will end up ranking ahead of them. But I think for now, since they've actually done it, we will put him right behind them. And and then we start looking at Oral Hershiser at 44. And Hershiser's another one who, like, He's done it. He, I think, if again, if Acuna goes out and does what I have projected him to do, I think he surpasses Hershiser pretty easily. It's it's interesting because again, Hershiser won a Cy Young award. He's he for a while was one of the best pitchers in baseball. I just I think that Acuna's already done enough to match what Hershiser put out in terms of like their peak years. We'll see what happens from here, but I think he'll end up passing Hershiser pretty quickly here but but for now again Hertz has just done it has the Cy Youngs and I think you get the same with Vita Blue the same with Corey Kluber here 46 so give me I think this is a perfect spot for him because then at number 47 we have right now Kenley Jansen and I think he's above Kenley Jansen here I think going down Hershiser, Blue, Kluber because Blue's won Cy Youngs as well Corey Kluber has multiple Cy Youngs and and we'll talk about him later. But I think putting him above Kenley Jansen makes sense, given what we're projecting him out to be. And frankly, the hitter's always going to be more valuable than the closer. We don't... I feel like I tried to really give credit where credit was due when ranking Jansen here, and when I ranked Mariano Rivera up at 34. But I think if you're if you're looking at two even players, you take the hitter, right? That, I think that's where we're going to go, is putting yeah let's put him right there so that would make ronald acuna jr our new number 47 on our list and to be fair that is quite the jump you're talking about in one season he went from the number 71 player on my list to to number 47 so he made almost a leap of almost 40 you know i mean almost 30 something spots almost so that's pretty good for one season so i'll give credit to, to acuna there for that leap and maybe I'm being a little too hard on it. Maybe I'm not projecting out enough considering how historic that season was. But I think for a young player at 25, that's, that's pretty good considering if he 
blows out his knee tomorrow, which again, I, I do not want to see happen. The baseball needs Ronald Acuna Jr. He is so dynamic and so fun. This would be a good place to, to, to recognize that greatness. All right, so jumping up to the next player on our list, that's going to be Cabrian Hayes at number 67. And it's an interesting question. Uh, Hayes is all potential right now. I feel like every year we come in and go, oh, this might be the year finally we see Cabrian Hayes' bat break out. And we say that every year. And there's some hope here. It would be hard to say he didn't improve. In To think of it this way, in he put up career numbers in pretty much every statistical category across the board. Played in 124 games. He hit 15 home runs with seven triples and 31 doubles. That the, All three of those are the highest marks of his career. He didn't drive in a ton of runs because he still plays for the Pirates, so he only had like 61 RBIs and 65 runs scored. He sold 10 bases, which is the second highest amount of, of his career. But he hit 271, which is the highest total since just a 24-game stint in, I guess that was in the pandemic year for Cabrian Hayes there in 2020. So he only played in 24 games that year. It's a, basically what I think was a career-high batting average, career-high OPS+. Plus. Uh, like, there was a lot about Cabrian Hayes here to be excited about because he's already an all-world defender. He's, in 2022, he led all of baseball in defensive war. He, with three defensive war he was at 2.4 for this season he won a gold glove this season he's an incredible fielder one of the best fielders if not the best fielder in baseball in in some ways the thing is he had to hit right and there's not a ton he has to hit to actually be like a valuable baseball player if you think of it this way he put up four war this year while hitting like 15 home runs and only driving in 60 something runs that's how good of a defender he is so if he can even just be you know, right now he's like a league average hitter. If you look at his OPS plus, he's one, he's a 105 OPS plus. If he could just add even a little more power, keep building as a hitter. I mean, you're looking at a guy who could be a star in the league. So I get the excitement. And to be fair, his advanced metrics seem to back up the idea that there's a potential breakout coming. He doubled his launch angle to 13.2, which is starting to get into that home run range. He... he almost doubled his barrel percentage from last year. It's still only 7.4%, but it's, it's better than the 3.9% he put up in 2022. His hard hit percentage was at a career high. There's a lot of reasons. He also hit way more fly balls. It went from 28.8% fly balls to 39% fly balls. His home run per fly ball percentage went way up. Just a lot of things. He pulled the ball more. Like I said, just a lot of things to say, hey, I, I could see the breakout. If it happens, so I get why a lot of people are very excited about this, about he's maybe reaching his full potential here. And if so, you're talking about a guy who could be a perennial six to seven WAR player. That just all he has to do is get in like the 120 WRC plus range. He doesn't even have to make that large of a leap, considering he had a 101 WRC plus. All this to say that he had a great season. Like I said, he hit 15 home runs. Hit 271, stole 10 bases, was, was a good player for the year. The question, of course, is where does this move him in the rankings? And he, he I'm not going to project out quite as far or as as generously as, say, I did Acuna, right? But think of even if he stays the exact player he is right now, 
basically becomes our this generation's Angleton Simmons type of player. He's probably already a better hitter than someone Simmons was for most of his career, but I think that the comparison makes some sense. He's 26, so let's say he puts up another four to five years of four war. That's another 16 to 20 war, which would get him up to eh, 30 to 40 war. And that, that bumps him up pretty good. Obviously, would move him up against... He's got Doc Good right above him, which we talked about. Doc Good was one of the greatest pitchers of all time with so many issues, whether it was substance abuse or allegations of sexual assault and you know, just too much trouble. So I, I move him on the project him out past Doc Gooden and obviously past Dottie Schrader, who is an incredible piece of baseball history, but never even touched the, the majors. So it's tough... I'd even probably put him against Jason Veritek and, and above Tony Stone. It's right around like Matt looking at, say, Jose Bautista. It's probably where I would draw the line as to where I would move him up to. So I think that's actually a really good spot for it. So I think I'm going to stop him right there at Jose Bautista. And again, this is I, I, I'm going on the idea that he is going to continue his defensive prowess for quite some time so to say, and I think that if you look at and say, oh, why am I projecting that out? Defense sticks around. He's got that instinct. If he, this is the thing, is that I'm probably shortchanging his potential right now. Well, if you think of it that way, I'm uh, what I'm trying to not do is just assume the breakout. Even though I see a lot of signs of one and a lot of reasons to be excited about one, I, I don't want to assume the breakout. We may be coming back this time next year and say hey he should be shooting way up the list uh but we'll need this i'll need to see that breakout first and and see that it might be sustainable then then this is going to be the first uh downer of a rankings change we're not bumping eva longoria down i think at all but there's if you go back and listen to eva longoria who is currently ranked at number sorry at number 53 like i said uh we had, back when we did this episode, you know, it was one of the very first episodes of Long Ball Legacy, so it was super fun. It was a really great episode. I want to say Pete Ball came on, and we talked to Evelyn Goria, and it was really great. But we did exactly what I talked about. We projected out what we thought Longoria would do over the rest of his career. And if you recall, predicted Hall of Fame, because I thought he'd get up to, like, in the high 60s, 70 war range, which is we've seen now from Scott Rowland getting in and what I'm probably going to call the Scott Rowland uh, border or divide right now, he would have had a pretty good shot of making it in. And unfortunately, his body just couldn't couldn't do it. And that, that, that hurts me and my soul. I love Evan Longoria. I think he's a great player. I think he means a lot to Tampa Bay Rays history. I think he's a fun player to root for. I think he's got some big moments in the history of baseball. And I, I remember living in Tampa for a couple of years during his heyday. It, it was really fun. So I love Evan Longoria, but he just obviously wasn't impactful this season at all in the way that he needs to be if he was going to get to those Hall of Fame numbers. He was worth just .5 war on the season. He played in 73 games, hit 11 home runs, with 28 RBIs, I believe a sub-250 average, like just not great numbers and you can just tell his body is just not not able to hold up right now and he's at 58 war right now so maybe if he got one more big season or a couple more seasons where he could put up two to three war like i could see him maybe making it but 
I just, unfortunately, that has not been the case for now two years running. And I don't see it happening. He's 38 now. We're talking, he's at the age where he's probably talking retirement. And and I I just don't know if he's going to make it up to those numbers, which makes me sad because, like I said, I love Evan Longoria. Then you throw in that he's got no MVPs at all and really doesn't have a true too many true signature seasons where you're like, oh, he got robbed. It's tough. So I feel like this is it. This is who he is. This is what his career is going to be. And to some degree, I'm not going to say I ever think a player should retire. I think probably Evan Lagoria brings a lot to a team and in a clubhouse and all those things. But I don't know if he can add to his legacy at this point is, is the thing. I'm not sure necessarily what to do with him. At first, I was just going to leave him where he is, but I do think I'll move him up one spot just based on longevity and, and who he is because I think now looking at another player whose season wasn't what they expected to be, Kyle Hendricks, who was number 52, I do think it, I was projecting out what Kyle Hendricks would do for the rest of his career here, and he's also battled injuries the last two seasons, basically the exact same problem. I think I'll move Longoria ahead of Hendricks and right behind Jen- Jamie Moyer, which would make him the new number 52 on the list. Speaking of Kyle Hendricks, since we, we're getting right to there, let's touch on him briefly. I think he has had just two injury-riddled seasons back-to-back with shoulder problems and is really limited him for the last two years. And really, there's an argument probably maybe stemmed from the 2021 season where he threw 181 innings. But I just, as someone who loves Kyle Hendricks, I want him to just be healthy. And I hope maybe 2024 could be that year. It sounds like he's probably staying with the Cubs for the season, which is good for them and good for Hendricks. I I think getting some continuity and getting some health and whatnot. But he only threw 137 innings pitched. He had a 3.74 ERA. At times looked great, looked like the Kyle Hendricks of old, and at times got just absolutely bashed around. I think the, there's nothing really to move, no, no movement to come out of this. He was worth 1.5 war, which brings his career total up to 23. Just nothing really changed. I don't necessarily see the need to move him up in the rankings at all. I also don't necessarily, looking at behind him, let's see, how old is Kyle Hendricks now? He is 33. I think, unfortunately, this might be the first guy we have to move down the list because right behind him at 54 is Sean Green. At this point, if at 33, it's not unrealistic to say Hendricks might not add too much to his career at this point. I think Green would then have had a better career. Same for Jorge Posada at number 55, Ryan Braun at 56, 84 to 57. That's another ranking I'll have to revisit here in the next episode. Moise Salou at 58, Albert Pell 59, Prince Fielder at 60. Matt Williams at 61, Jose Bautista at 62. It really comes down to Brian Hayes here at 63. And I think you could say at this point, Hendricks has had a better career than Cabrian Hayes, barring that Cabrian Hayes doesn't make that, that big leap. Of, so I think that's a good spot to move him down to. Is unfortunately down at number... This He'll now be the new number 63. Cabrian Hayes, you just became 63. Nope, you got bumped down to 64. So that will be Kyle Hendricks' new spot on the list here. All right, so now that we've touched on Kyle Hendricks and looked at probably about half of our our list of players to talk about, before we get into the big names, uh, because we've got a couple uh, up here towards the top, let's actually take our our break here, and we'll come right back, and then we are going to dive into 
Kenley Jansen, uh, and then Corey Kluber. Thank you so much. Welcome back. So talking about Kenley Jansen here, right? Jensen had a – these two will be a little quick, Jensen and Kluber. I think they both just stay right where they are. Jensen had a, a solid season. He saved 20-plus games but was only worth 0.7 war. It's so tough with relievers. So I think he was good. I think he added to his saves total, which is, is big for his legacy and whatnot. But I still think it just leaves him in the same spot he was before, which is the second-best closer maybe of all of, of our generation and maybe up there of all time. I think that there's a place where the, you just say, hey – he stays pat. He did exactly what I expect him to do. And then I think he's still behind Kluber in war. Kluber's got two Cy Youngs, so I, I, obviously he's not going to jump ahead of Jansen here. And Kluber himself had just an abysmal season. Uh, it was just a really tough season. He was worth negative 0.8 war. You don't ever want to say a player's done, but Kluber's looking pretty done. And he's not getting any younger either. And, and this is my... Probably my favorite pitcher I've ever watched. I love Corey Kluber. So for me to say this is very painful, but I, I don't just, I don't know. I don't see what's left at this point for him. And so because of that, again, I think I'm just going to keep him right where he is. Because he's still got the two Cy Youngs. So it's hard to take that, that away from him. That for a stretch, there was really no dom- more dominant pitcher than Corey Kluber. And, and uh, so for now, I think we just leave them right where they go. We move from them to a, a fasting pitcher. We've already had a fasting player, I should say. We've already had one player make a huge leap up in the rankings with Ronald Acuna Jr. We're about to see another one make a pretty big leap here in Freddie Freeman. It's interesting. The older he gets, Freddie Freeman just seemingly keeps finding another level to his play. And he's one of three guys who genuinely deserve consideration for the NL MVP. If he ends up winning it, I'm not going to throw things or throw fit on the podcast. I think Acuna should win. Acuna was, was better. But Freeman certainly had an MVP-worthy season, if that makes sense. And it, Freeman was worth 6.6 war on the season. He had an, an, an incredible season. He hit 331 with 29 home runs, 102 RBIs, 131 runs scored, with a 410 OBP and a 976 OPS, which is good for a 161 OPS plus. So just behind Acuna on a lot of those numbers. He even stole 23 bases. Freddie Freeman stole 23 bases, more than his previous career high. And for the record, I think this is where we actually see the biggest impact in the stolen and the bases being bigger and you know everyone expected the speedsters to just put up astronomical numbers and some did yeah but it wasn't necessarily across the board i think where you really see the impact is in things like your first baseman going from eight stolen bases a season to 20 is something that i think we've seen across the board a lot in a lot of different spots this was really cool to see freeman put up he surpassed in the season 300 home runs and 2,000 hits. Starting to knock out some of those career numbers that we really like to see for uh, Hall of Fame players. He set a Dodgers record with 59 doubles. So yeah, so he hit 29 home runs and 59 doubles. If you combine those two numbers together along with his triples, that puts him at 67th all-time uh, for one season in terms of extra base hits. He's the first first baseman to have ever hit 20 home runs, 20 stolen bases, and had 200 hits in a season which is remarkable considering he's 34. Oh, and he drove in 102 runs while scoring 131 runs as well for the Dodgers. Just an incredible season. Like, genuinely, I'm going to throw out this treat, talking about this as if 
because we don't know who's won MVP yet that Freeman has won the MVP, just like I did Acuna. And, it, you know, a lot of it's just because I think it was an MVP-worthy season. It was an incredible season. He he was an all-star, by the way, again this year as well. But now we get into a place with Freeman. It's like, what do we see possibly for Freeman? And where do we see him going? And, and is he a Hall of Famer? All these sort of things. And as I mentioned, he was for 6.6 war this season, which is excellent. But he's 34. So what's he got up to? He's now at 55.8 war. Now, at the rate he's playing, as I mentioned, he seems to just be getting better and better. And he's playing on an excellent offensive team, barring injury. So given that his body holds up, you have to imagine he has maybe, even if only has one more year at, at somewhere around this level. So let's say he has another five to six war season that gets him up over 60 and then he can you know have a couple more seasons of two three wars something like that that would get him up near 70 so i I think he could get there if with a little bit of luck i think i don't think he's anywhere it's clear he's nowhere near done yet it's just how long can his body hold up i think he gets there i do i really do i think he gets over 70 war and once he does there we can scott roland and again for the record if you listen to scott roland podcast he I think Scott Rowland was a Hall of Famer, so I don't mean that as a diss. I say, hey, we, we, we've we've deemed Scott Rowland worthy correctly. We should do the same if Freeman gets the 70 uh, war as well. And, and this is not to mention, he got the 300 home runs here. So if he plays another three or four seasons, he might be able to get close to 400 home runs, or if he can get over it, I think it becomes a done deal. I don't think he makes it the 3,000 hits. I think that would be asking a lot. You have to play five more seasons at this level, and I just don't think that's... He'd be 39. That seems like a lot. So I don't think he gets the 3,000 hits, but I could, I mean, maybe see 400 home runs. You never know. But I do think he'll get the 70 war. So I think looking at this and, and what I've seen this year, again, at, at 34 years old, seeing this season, figuring he is not done yet, I think this easily puts him above, looking at the list above Homer and Baker, who's right in front of him. Uh, at 40, puts up above Jose Altuve, who we'll get to, at 39. It's interesting to think about, say, against Paul Molitor, who he, he basically he'll surpass Molitor in war if he gets uh, to where I think he will, or at least match him, pretty come pretty close. He already has more home runs than Molitor does. He has just as many MVPs, and if he wins this one, he'll be ahead of him in MVPs. He played his entire career in the field, unlike Molitor. By this point, his career had already more or less become a full-time DH. I, I just I think that there's a place where Freeman has pretty easily surpassed Molitor in a lot of ways, and he hasn't even gotten to the 20-year mark or you know whatnot that Molitor got to. I think I think that's a pretty clear cut. I think Freeman moves up there. Now it took Fred McGriff, who is right above that at what number 37. It took Fred McGriff 19 seasons to get to 52 WAR. Freeman has surpassed that mark in 14 seasons, so he's already ahead of him in war, or right right at that, that point. I think they're really close. In Freeman's done it in way less time, and he'll never catch up to McGriff's 493 home runs, which is an incredible accomplishment. Go back and listen to the Fred McGriff episode that I made after he made it in the, in the Hall of Fame. I love Fred McGriff, but I, I, I don't think... I, I don't necessarily... It isn't all just home runs, and, and Freeman as a more well-rounded all-around player, won't get close to that. But he basically otherwise beats McGriff in every single triple slash category. 
as well as OPS plus. He's got more postseason success. And by the time he's done, if he gets to 19 seasons as well, should surpass McGriff in RBIs, hits and runs in the next couple of years. I, I think Freeman goes up ahead of McGriff here as well. Then we get up to my boy, Jose Ramirez. And I think he, I mean, he, he beats Ramirez in nearly every category except stolen bases, which makes sense given that Freeman has nearly five years of Ramirez. Like, Ramirez shouldn't be close to him in runs and RBIs. That he, let's see how they match up in five years. And Ramirez is generally better on a year-to-year basis, but Ramirez is no MVP. Freeman has at least one. He might have two by the time all is said and done here. At number 35, we have Ryan Sandberg. And this is another interesting one because they're polar opposite players. Sandberg was a vastly superior defender who was good enough as a hitter. And he was an incredible defender his entire career, Sandberg was, at a much harder defensive position at second base. But Freeman's a vastly better hitter. It wasn't even close. And he surpassed Sandberg in home runs and, and is ahead of him in every triple slash category. And I think the biggest argument Sandberg has is that he might be when you talk culturally, he might be top three most important Cub ever. That's how popular Ryan Sandberg is, and, and deservedly. But I think you still have to go Freeman here, since Freeman is uh, better than him, is vastly better than him as a hitter. It still is a solid uh, defender. He should surpass Sandberg in war by the end of his career. I think Sandberg's at like 67 or 68 war, so he's only like 12 war behind him. I think Freeman should surpass Sandberg pretty easily there. So I think Freeman moves ahead of Sandberg as well. I think he surpasses Mariano Rivera here as well. They're they're dead even in war already. So we start there. And then, obviously, Freeman's only going to climb up, up, and up. And I think when you compare two even players, the hitter, like I said before, beats out the closer. Even if it is the greatest closer of all time, the hitter still is more valuable. So I think it's tough because, obviously, I think culturally Mariano Rivera means a lot to the culture of baseball, like, you know, enter Sandman and all that stuff is dug into our brains. Freeman's just, he's, he, again, he's a shot at being a Hall of Fame hitter. I think, I think he still moves ahead of him here. So we get to Bryce Harper, and this is a really interesting one. Harper's won two MVPs in two fewer seasons, and is one of the greatest postseason hitters ever. We're going to get there. On the other hand, Harper has only one season with a war total above Freeman's 6.6 mark in 2023. And, Harper's second highest mark is 5.9. Freeman has probably been better on a year-to-year basis, according to war per 162 games played. That's tough, but they're really actually pretty darn close. They're they're dead even in the triple slash categories, pretty much. The, the biggest difference is Freeman is a better defender, and Harper just gets hurt too much. And I think that's the, really, if you ask me, like, what ended up being the difference between these two players, I think that's the problem. It's just that Harper misses too many games, and and right now Freeman is a at least a average defender and Harper is a negative in the field. But with that being said, I think the tiebreaker here, because I think these two players are incredibly even, is going to be culture. And this is just the thing itself. This is going to sound very subjective, and it, it, this is this whole podcast is, is subjective. And it's my list. I get to do whatever I want. Freddie Freeman, for all of his greatness, and something I love Freddie Freeman, I think he's a great player. Freddie Freeman will never be the face of baseball. He just, that's just not part of it's his personality, and part of it's just, that's just not how we have gravitated towards Freddie Freeman. He he isn't a showman in that same way. He just 
isn't that player. And that's not an insult to him. That doesn't mean it. I mean, it's subjective. But Harper can and has been the face of baseball in many ways. We talked about, go listen to the Bryce Harper episode about kind of the prodigy. I mean, he's basically baseball's LeBron James in terms of this player we followed since he was a high schooler. And he's got the the attitude and the looks and the, he just, he's, he can be, this is the way I think about it is here. I'll put it this way. In 40 years, we might talk, whoever is doing this podcast, it won't be me. 40 years from now, talk about, we'll talk about how good Freddie Freeman was. He'll be one of those players that we go, oh shoot, he was so much better than we thought he was. Honestly, it reminds me almost of Eddie Murray in some ways. But at the end of the day in 40 years, we're going to talk about Harper like he's Mickey Mantle. We're going to talk about him the same way we talked about Mickey Mantle, if that makes sense. And, and the, whether that's fair or not, I think it matters. And so I think this is where I'm going to stick Freddie Freeman, is right here between Bryce Harper and and Mariano Rivera. So that would make Freddie Freeman our new number 34 on the list. That's a pretty big jump after an incredible season that moved him up from number 41 to number 34. And yes, so like Acuna moved up, what, something like 30 spots earlier. But the the... The gaps between as we get higher up in the list get shorter. So making making a leap of seven spots is equivalent sometimes to making 20-spot leap if you were further back on the list, if that makes sense. Uh, very impressive for Freddie Freeman here. All right. Given that it appears we're approaching the, the hour mark here, I say what we're going to do is, because we're right now probably about 12 players left, 10 players left, something in there. I'm going to break this off into a part two. There's no, I'm sure, no reason for you to listen to a two-hour <laughs> episode of here, because we're about to get into the juicy players, where we're going to have real big discussions and whatnot. So I think what we're going to do is break this off into a part two. We're going to do two more players in this episode. We're going to knock out the Jose's. So Jose Altuve and Jose Ramirez, and then we will come back in two weeks and do Bryce Harper, Manny Machado, Joey Votto, Clayton Kershaw, and Shohei Otani and Mike Trout. And then that will be our sort of update for for the offseason. Stay tuned for part two, where we'll really start digging into some of those uh, really interesting players where we're going to be debating a lot. If you thought we were talking a lot about Freddie Freeman or Ronald Acuna, just you wait. When we start talking about Mike Trout and his legacy or things like that, it's going to get really juicy. Tune in for uh, that in two weeks, but let's wrap things up here talking about... Uh, the Jose's, Jose Altuve and Jose Ramirez, starting with Altuve. So the interesting thing about Altuve is that he was injured for a decent chunk of the season. He played in just 90 games on the season, and there was just injury after injury. He just really was never able to stay healthy this season. Uh, first, he missed a big chunk of the, the beginning of the season with a fractured thumb that he, he received in the World Baseball Classic. And then he comes back and he ends up straining his oblique, which kept him out for a little while. And it just the whole season was never really, never really let him get a ton of momentum through the first half of the year or so. And this was a goofy one, but it's funny. It still ended up being a good season for Altuve. To give you an idea, he played in just 90 games, right? He was still worth 2.8 war. So... If he had played a full season, he was playing at a four to four and a half war pace. And I think 
he's obviously entering that age where injuries start to come into play. He's 33 now. He'll be 34 probably before the season starts. or pretty close to it. So there's an interesting question of what do we what do we make of this? Is this now the trend for Altuve? Do we think he's going to be hurt a lot? And it's tough. He, he hasn't played 150 games in a season since 2017 was the last time he did that. So it's always been a little nagging things with Altuve a little bit and getting rest as he's getting older. But he's always been productive. And I don't expect this year to be the trend. He only had 17 home runs on the season, which is 21 doubles. But he still hit 311, and in 90 games, still scored 76 runs. So it's not like I don't expect him next year to be productive and continue being productive. And overall, when he played, he, it was a good season. He had a 151 OPS plus on the season. He was, if you look at WRC plus, he was a 154 WRC plus hitter on the year. So it's not like Altuve was bad by any means, and that's never. The question with Altuve, it's a question of health for Altuve, is all. I want to stress that I think Altuve had a pretty good season, despite all of the injuries. But with that being said, it does certainly paint where his legacy and whatnot sits on the list. And and really, in terms of the all-time, you know, sort of his place in history, because of that, this is the hard part where you get... As I do a lot of, I've talked about a lot, but projecting in the future, trying to guess what players are going to do over the course of their careers and things like that, mostly because it's fun. But the hard part is that there is certainly a curve. It's a bell curve of when your body starts to get these little nagging things and these started things start cropping up. And it's not that your play even drops off. It's just your availability drops off. And, and I think this is a little bit for Altuve is if you look, across the back end of his seasons, like in terms of like war per season, right? So he's worth 2.8 war this year. He was 5.1 war last year, 4.5 war in 2021. In 2022, which was a lost season, it was a mess. He was worth negative 0.2 war. And in 2019, he was worth 3.8 war. And in 2018, he was worth uh, 5.1 war again. Now, this isn't meant to be a negative thing. That's all, those are all outside of 2020, which is a weird season pretty solid war numbers but it's hard for me to project for him to do what i've done with a lot of players be like oh he's guaranteed let's say he does another three years of five war another three years of six war like i I can't do that because he he barely gets to the five war mark as it is a lot of that said he's not a great defender anymore he never was like a stupendous defender but he held his own and but if you look at the defensive war numbers and things like that he's not a positive impact there either and so it's tough man i wish i could project more for altuve but again he's 33 his body is clearly starting to show some signs of not being able to necessarily hold up a whole lot a lot of these injuries for the record were freak injuries like he missed 43 games with a fractured thumb because he got hit with a pitch in the world baseball classic that's not how old he is that's bad luck but He's 13 seasons in. I believe it's 13 seasons. Yeah, 13 seasons in. Uh, this will be his 14th year in the league. He's 33. You start to wonder if some of these things will start to creep in. But mostly, it's those war numbers that concern me, is that if he wants to get up into that 70, that magical 70 war range, we are like, oh, that's Hall of Famer. He'd need another 20 war to get there, because he's at 49.3 war for his career now after the season. 
that you're talking to get 20 war at like say a four war pace you got to play another five years you got to play till he's 38 and he's going to play at his peak at his best i mean his best seasons were like seven war he did 7.9 in 2016 and 7.7 .7 in 2017 but i don't think he's going to get there again those are astronomically good seasons when the mvp one of those years i just don't see that for him anymore so we're talking it's probably more likely it's like four war a season so yeah that's five more seasons to get there so he's got to put up four war until he's 38 39 per season it's doable it's certainly doable but it is not the easiest path i would say and i'm hopeful he'll do it because he's one of the greats of our generation he's just a, a good player a lot of beloved by houston fans and by fans across the, the country he's you know stuck with one team his whole career it's you root for that guy but with that being said um i don't know how if he'll get there that's sad hopefully i think if he gets to 65 and he's close enough i think it'll work for him he's got an mvp and as we're about to talk he's maybe one of the greatest postseason hitters of all there's no way about it. he is one of the greatest postseason hitters of all time he might be the the best postseason hitter of all time it's right up there Let's talk a little bit about that postseason record. Because for the record, so Houston makes the the postseason this year, right? They they play, let's see, Minnesota in the ALDS, and he hits a home run in that series as they win that. And they go and face Texas in the ALCS, which they lost that series, but not because of Altuve. Altuve hit 313 in that series with three home runs and three doubles. He was outrageous. And when I mention these home run numbers, because he now has across eight different postseason trips right with the uh, the astros he has 27 home runs 27 that's incredible it's it's outrageous the only player in baseball history has more postseason home runs right now than jose altuve is manny ramirez that is it it's him and manny ramirez at the top there and there's a high likelihood that he has a good shot at surpassing ramirez in the next year or two given that because houston's not going anywhere they're going to keep being in the playoffs and he showed no signs of necessarily slowing down in the, in that situation so i think i think you can hope that he strings together two more postseason home runs and at least ties ramirez but he has an argument again for the best he's got a career 273 average in the postseason a career 851 ops with those 27 home runs he's got 21 doubles he's got 55 rbis uh, in the playoffs like he is an incredible playoff hitter and i think that matters for his legacy i just don't know i'm, I'm hoping that if he can get the 65 war that'll be close enough that then we can also say yeah but he's also one of the greatest if not the greatest postseason hitter ever he has an mvp and that's enough to get him in right that's my hope now with that being said what does this have to do with the list? How does he shape up on the list? So you're talking about Altuve versus Paul Molitor. And Molitor, while it doesn't have quite Altuve's postseason full-on heroics, he does have one of the greatest postseason runs of all time under his belt in 1993, where he hit 391 with a home run and two doubles and a triple against the White Sox in the ALCS. And then in the World Series, he hit uh, 458 with two home runs, two triples, and a double against what was it, against Philly, where he actually won the World Series MVP. So while he does not have the full resume of Jose Altuve, he, he does have a World Series MVP to his name. 
and obviously has some of the, the marks that we look for in Hall of Famers. You know, he's got 3,000 hits. He's got 75.7 war to his name. He's a 122 OPS plus hitter, while Altuve is a 129 OPS plus hitter. So it's not like they're that separated in terms of their numbers that way. And the difference being, obviously, that Altuve played in the field, where Molitor played a decent chunk of his career at DH. This is an interesting one. I think my instinct at this point right now is to leave it as it is. That I, I don't think I don't think he surpasses Molitor. Molitor doesn't have the MVP or uh, that, that Altuve has, and obviously Molitor put up all those numbers that I just talked about over 21 years in the league. Altuve is only at 13. But one thing I like to really reinforce on this is that longevity is a statistic, right? And it, and it matters that at some point, just being physically available for that long matters. And I think given that Altuve hasn't played more than 150 games in several years, I, I question his ability to necessarily get to playing this, you know, another seven years, eight years. That's tough. That's a lot to ask of a, a guy who's 33. We'll see if he does it. I'd like to, I'd like him to do it. But I think for now, we'll keep Molitor ahead of him and check back in next year and see how we're doing, right? So th- that's my thought right now. So I think despite all of the stuff that ugh, I mean, Altuve has done in the last couple of years and all the, the, the playoff heroics and everything, I think for now, and let me know if you disagree, I think we'll keep him at number 40 on the list here right now. So now it leads us to our last player for the day, which is at number 37, Jose Ramirez. Jose Ramirez had a had a solid season. It's funny. So I watched the Guardians. Y'all know I'm a Guardians fan. And it's funny in that way that in our heads, uh, and I talked to many Guardians fans about this. I spent time on Guardians Twitter, which, don't get me wrong, they like to blow everything up and a little bit out of proportion, but they're, everyone's pretty awesome over there. And... I think all of us across the board felt like almost Ramirez had a down year. And to a certain degree, you can make that argument that he hit only 24 home runs, but he hit 282 with a, he had 80 RBIs, 87 runs scored. He hit, let's see how many doubles he had, 36 doubles, played 156 games across the, uh, the year, and he stole 28 bases. Now, that 28 bases was a career, was, oh no, I'm sorry, it's the second highest of his career. In 2018, he stole 34 bases. But 24 home runs seems like a down year. It, it really ended up not, because if you look across the board, it felt like also his defense was a little iffy compared to years. It just, like I said, it felt a little bit like a down year. And it was, don't get me wrong, because in 2021, he put up 6.8 war. In 2022, he put up six war, and in 2023, this past year, he put up 5.1 war. It was certainly a, a down season for him in, in that sense, but it wasn't like a bad one, if that makes sense. He, the moment you dig a little deeper, though, in the season, it actually really starts to show some very impressive improvements for Ramirez, and it, may, it gives you hope that next season could really be that season I keep hoping for where he, he has a full-on runaway MVP season, you look at, say, his strikeout percentage on the season. So he walked 10.6% of the time and struck out just 10.6% of the time. That's remarkable. You don't really see that many players who walk as often as they strike out, and you don't really see 
strikeout percentages for sluggers, for one of the more feared, better hitters in baseball, uh, you usually don't see strikeout percentages in the 10.6% range. Now, between you and me, I feel like I'd rather see that number go up and see a little more power. But Ramirez is just one of I mean, he only has 6.5% swing strike rate. And this is the thing is that, like, some of his numbers were down. He was coming off of, I think he fractured his hamate bone last year, I want to say. And I think that carried over into part of the season in terms of his power. But, like, you look at the numbers, and his launch angle is a little bit down to 18 from 20. His barrel percentage is actually up from the year before. Ramirez is a classic guy. He's only got a 7% barrel rate. When he barrels a ball, he makes the most out of a barrel. If he barrels a ball, it's gone, is usually the case. It's a little misleading, but I'd love to see it get back up to that, like, 2021, like, 11.1% uh, range. But I don't see, like, a drop-off for Ramirez in any way. I don't see any signs that say, like, something else is that's just going to keep going down. And he was good in the first half. It seemed to taper off in the second half, but I think a lot of it is that it, everything tapered off for the Guardians in the second half. They had one of the hardest schedules in baseball in the second half. It was so... It was wild. I watched it. It was really front-loaded with somewhat lesser competition than, I mean, just, it would seem like uh, playoff team after playoff team after playoff team in the second half. So he was obviously facing a bit better pitching. And he was still a 123 WRC plus hitter while being big positive on and defense. And I think, I just, I think that there's no reason to fret over this. I, I expect him somewhere between five war and six war next year as well. So overall, while I, I think, there was some things to be disappointed about in terms of how the Guardians did and probably what I would think of as like the fantasy value of Jose Ramirez, so to say, if you play fantasy baseball. I think as a player, he had a great season. He had a really solid season, even if he wasn't like destroyer of worlds, Jose Ramirez, that when he gets hot, he's the most feared hitter in baseball, hitter that he can be at times. He wasn't that this year, but like he still was a star and... That gives me a lot of hope as I put him up here in this spot because of the way I projected out his future. He's going to be 31 this season. He is in just his 10th season in the league. Really, frankly, he's in his 9th season in the league because in 2013, he only played for 14 plate appearances. So it's hard to even factor that in. I just, I just don't see necessarily the, the athletic drop-off. I don't see any of those things really factoring in. He plays a ton of games. He's been over 150 games all the last three seasons. In 2020, he played 58 out of the 60 games. He then missed some time in 2019, but then played 150 games from in 2016, 2017, 2018. He's going to be available. I think he's going to put up five-war season easily next year, if not more. So you start to ask yourself, how does this then lay into his Hall of Fame chances? So he's 30, but this would be 31 season. So let's say he does this for five more years, right? So that's another 25 war. Uh, I'll put him at 35, where we'd start to expect to see some drop off. I think that gets him to, uh, you know what? So that's another, he does that for another four to five seasons. You're talking 20 to 25 more war. That would put him right at 70 war, which I think would be enough. As we've said with Scott Rowland and third baseman, like it would be too hard to not put him in there. But let's also think about this. So he puts up, let's say he puts up on average 25 home runs a season. So let's say he does that for another four to five seasons. That's another 100 to, uh, you know, 125 home runs, which would put him 
up over 300. He's got 216 right now, so I get up to you know 300, probably 330 or so, three, between 300 and 330. Uh, to go along with, let's say he's stealing like 20 bases a year, so let's add another 100 bases onto that. Uh, that gives him 300 home runs and 300 stolen bases. Let's see where that kind of ends up all time here. Yeah, if he gets to th- 300 home runs and 300 stolen bases, there have only been eight players in the history of baseball have achieved that. Barry Bonds, Alex Rodriguez, Willie Mays, Andre Dawson, Carlos Beltran, Bobby Bonds, Reggie Sanders, and Steve Finley. And obviously the bottom three or four of those aren't Hall of Famers. Because Yeah, Beltran, Bobby Bonds, Reggie Sanders, and Steve Finley all aren't Hall of Famers. But that's pretty hallowed company. And both Bonds, Sanders, and Finley weren't necessarily hitters on uh, Ramirez's level. In that sense, you start making a case there either way that I think we're getting really close to being able to look at Hall of Fame potential for Jose Ramirez. And that's just saying over the rest of his prime, let alone any more years he plays where he can add to that if he can get up to 350 and 350 or something like that. That could make a huge difference towards his case, especially considering he's an elite defender. The knocks on, say, say Bobby Bonds, for instance, who only had 57.9 war was because he wasn't a great uh, defender for most of his career. Whereas Jose Ramirez has been a gold glove caliber third baseman for a decent chunk of his career. He's got some gold gloves to his name. So I think that factors in all of this to say that, that, as I mentioned before, when I put Jose Ramirez in the spot, I this is all about projecting him out to to this spot. And I don't think anything's changed here. I think I am still on that projection. I'm still projecting potential Hall of Fame. I'm still projecting a war somewhere in the 70s. And that's only just counting as prime. Again, I think if we get another good three, four, five prime years out of Jose Ramirez, and then he keeps playing for years beyond that, we could easily see him get into the 80 war range, which then makes him a surefire Hall of Famer. So now the question is, do we change anything on the list here? So right in front of Ramirez is Ryan Sandberg. And it's interesting. I think, obviously, Sandberg is primarily a second baseman. Ramirez is primarily a third baseman. They actually flip-flopped. Sandberg started his career as a third baseman and moved to second base. Ramirez started as a second baseman and moved to a third base. And I think that there's a lot of parallels between these two players. If You know, I, I keep making Scott Rowland references, but if you want... Who's the guy that that is the best comparison for Jose Ramirez and, and the best argument for his Hall of Fame potential? It's Ryan Sandberg hit, what, 285 for his career. Ramirez is at, I want to say, 287 for his career, 279 for his career. Sandberg hit 282 home runs. We just talked about the goal for Ramirez to get around 300 home runs for his career. Sandberg stole 344 bases. We think Ramirez will get right around there. He's a 114 OPS plus hitter. Ramirez right now is a 129 career OPS plus hitter. Obviously, I think as he gets older, in the same way Sandberg did, that'll tail off a little bit, lower some of those numbers. But I think that there's a really interesting comparison between Sandberg and Ramirez. I think they're very similar hitters and very similar players. And then the argument eventually becomes, given that Ramirez does what we think he's going to do, if you think Sandberg is a Hall of Famer, which of course I do, then how's Ramirez not, right? And the big difference, I think, between Ramirez and 
and Sandberg is that Ramirez hasn't really won the gold gloves that Sandberg did. I mean, Sandberg had, what, nine of them in his career? And he also had seven silver sluggers. And he's got an MVP to his name and is also in the Hall of Fame. So I think that there is a place where I think by the time all is said and done, we're going to look at these two players as really similar players. I think they have really similar cultural impacts in that Ramirez is going to go down as one of the most beloved and one of the greatest players to play for the Guardians ever. He's going to be iconic in that way that he was the face of the changing of their franchise from from their previous name to the Guardians. I think that that's all a big part of that. He's beloved in Cleveland. Like he and Sandberg are like carbon copies of each other in a lot of ways. I think it's important to say that uh, th- this bodes well for Ramirez, but not enough for me to move him in front of Sandberg right now. So I think I'm going to keep the, everything right where it is. Just like I did with Altuve, I think Ramirez stays right here on the list at number 37, right behind Ryan Sandberg and just in front of Fred McGriff. That's be our episode. Like I said, we'll call it here for part one. We'll come back in two weeks and we will talk about Bryce Harper and talk about Manny Machado, talk about Joey Votto, talk about Nolan Arenado. We'll knock out Clayton Kershaw and Shohei Otani and even Mike Trout. And that's going to be because those are going to be big debates. We're going to be talking a lot. So we'll cover fewer players, I think, in that podcast. But I think it's going to be around the same time. Tune in next episode for those players. And then after that, like I mentioned, we'll start talking about some of either the players that we lost or retired this year. So we'll talk about Brooks Robinson. We'll talk about Adam Wainwright. We will we'll look at some players that are significant in the, the culture of having completed their careers or have had this lasting impact that have been in the news lately. And we'll look at those once we finish up our year-end wrap-up next episode. Stay tuned for all that. That's what we're looking for throughout the offseason. Thank you so much for joining me. I hope this was a fun thing. I thought we'd try this and see if we liked it. I'm always trying to experiment and try some new things here on the podcast. So don't hesitate to let me know how you feel about it. You can reach me at, as I mentioned before, at Twitter at port.danoj or x or whatever. You can send an email to to us at longballlegacies at gmail.com. You, you can hit up our there the podcast x account at lblegacies over there. Or you can shoot a comment on the, because I post all these in an article on the website as well. So you can you know, comment there. Let me know what you think of the format, because otherwise we'll probably do these uh, every year and keep updating things. All right. With that, I'm going to let you enjoy the rest of your weekend. I'm off to a tennis tournament. I'm probably not going to last very long in it, but I'm going to give it my darndest. Wish me luck. And everyone else, just enjoy your weekends. There's no baseball to watch, but before it'll be coming back around the corner here. In the meantime, I'm Daniel Port. I'm the host of Long Ball Legacies here on the Pitchless Podcast Network. Thank you for joining us. I'm eternally grateful. And I will see you in two weeks. Thanks so much.